Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, Executive Director of Worship Resources and Director of Music Ministries. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Lisa Hancock, Director of Worship Arts. During this time of transition from virtual to online and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Reverend Dr. Marcelo Gomes, Director of Training and Church Planting Systems, also known as Path One at Discipleship Ministries. Marcelo is an ordained elder in the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church. He served the Methodist Church of Brazil for 12 years, where he also worked as a university professor and president of one of the public colleges in Rio de Janeiro. He served the Global Ministries Agency for three years as a church planter in Miami. He worked as an adjunct professor of transformational leadership and congregational care at Garrett Evangelical Seminary in the course of study program between 2016 and 2020. He is a member of the National Plan of Hispanic and Latino Ministries, from 2016 to 2018, and he's a certified mentor for candidates and clergy in the New England Conference. Beyond that, he's also a licensed psychoanalyst in the state of Vermont, nationally certified psychoanalyst and registered psychoanalyst, I can't say that word very well, in the United Kingdom. Reverend Dr. Gomes holds a Doctor of Ministry degree from Boston University and is currently a PhD candidate at Sigmund Freud University in Vienna, Austria. Marcelo, we're so happy to have you here today. And I, we always start the conversation with our guests, asking them, how, how, how are you doing? And what is life like for you right now? Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for the invitation. I'm so glad to be here and be part of this so important conversation about worship and the kind of connecting with church planting and some other important aspects of church life and ministry. So life is very well as we work at Discipleship Ministries, resourcing those who are creating and looking for new ways of doing church and ministry. So I'm so glad to be here and be part of this conversation today. Excellent. Thank you. Marcelo, you recently wrote an article on the Discipleship Ministries website that anyone can go find about symbolism as it relates to Christmas. And I was so interested in how you approach that conversation in regard to discipleship and church planting, the role that symbols have in helping us create meaning and connect to what we find what we value and what's important to us. I wonder if you could say a little bit about how you think that also applies to worship, because church planting and discipleship certainly go includes worship, but includes other aspects of the life of a Christian community as well. So how, how do you think about the role of 
kind of traditional or long-term symbolism in people's lives in relationship to worship, but also what it means to create new symbols that help us make meaning as we find new expressions of church in our world today. Yeah, that's a great question. And and part of my ideas when writing this article was kind of connecting some of the psychoanalytic perspectives mm-hmm. on how human beings create sense of meaning and connection with others and and trying to use this connection to help people understand that we have a deeper context when we are not just expressing spirituality but when we are creating it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not an expert in, in worship matters, but I see it as a personal, but also as a communal expression of spirituality. So we do have some communal components that is part of the community life, but also have some personal and inner components. So all of these come together, and, and that's how we express ourselves in worship. So that, that's how I see, and that's the, the foundational concept when thinking about that article. So we do have this idea in psychoanalysis called symbol formation. Mm. So we, we start life not knowing ourselves, but knowing others first, and then we can know and understand who we are. So that's the process. We need others to really find ourselves in terms of beings, in terms of what we are internally and externally in relationships and connection with the world. So I believe the symbol formation, it's also important when we think about worship, because during this pre-verbal phase in our lives, let's say first, second, and third years of age, we are developing this symbol formation from others, from the mother, the father, the family, siblings, neighbors, people in church. And and that's how we kind of grasp the emotional sense of being who we are and connecting with others. So from this perspective, I, I had a question that has been a part of my ministry life for a while, which is how people are developing their uh, symbol formation in terms of worship and what it means to recreate or rethink church expression of worship based on the changes and new ways that people are developing their symbol formations. This is also uh, connected with how our families are not developed by how our families are formed. So if we compare families from 50 years ago and today, we're going to see a lot of difference in terms of family dynamics and relationships and roles and everything else. So we are really changing as human beings and as a society and also as a local community. So how can we understand the new models and the new forms of symbol formation within ourselves and how that is related to worship expression. So that's the kind of idea that I thought when writing this article. I I have to admit, I was so, you use such a, uh, I'll say you you use such a familiar example within that article. You talked about how 
this is one of the reasons that people will balk at the fact that you're changing something about the Christmas Eve service because they're so connected to the symbols around that. Mm. And so as you as you were just kind of unpacking that for us, I wondered about what it looks like to really kind of take stock of being an intergenerational and in many contexts, a truly multicultural church and what it means to not let go of the old, but figure out how to responsibly mix the new and the old. And and even as that mix happens, it sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, even the mix of new and old or the taking of long-held symbols and putting them in a new place mm-hmm. or in a new way, like expressing them in a new way, is actually the creation of its own symbol. So like... Even as we try something new, understanding that it's not just a one-off, we may actually be in the process of further symbol formation that can ground the community moving forward. Am I? Am I? I want to. I just kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit and hear if that's some of what you're saying, and and does that influence our pastoral approach to worship as we're thinking with new and old symbols and how to help a community do the work of both right now in worship? Yeah, well, let me begin by saying year 2013, when I moved from Brazil to New England. So it was Mm -hmm. a big change for me. Yes. Not just the language, but especially the religious culture. So different. So I thought that doing something in a very diverse context would help me not just process, but become part of that new religious and spiritual context. So I decided to take the CPE program at Boston Medical Center. Mm -hmm. So I was there for, I don't know, maybe a year in extended program. And I was in contact with all kinds of people and cultures and languages. And, And that was very important in terms of symbol formation to understand how I could help others and at the same time having this sense of belonging in this new context of life and ministry for me. So using this example, I would say that the intergenerational complexity of preparing and thinking and creating worship begins with a sense of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a adjusting kind of approach when preparing the sermon, when rethinking new forms for Christmas celebration or other important dates and celebrations for the local church. So I, I think it's much more about finding the connection between the old and the new mm-hmm. instead of just you know, recreating things or abandoning or not giving importance to important symbol formations for people's spirituality, regardless mm-hmm. generation, culture, language. Because as I said in the beginning, I, I see worship as this personal, but also this communal kind of experience. So we need mm-hmm. to be in a place of constant adaptation and adjustment. So that would be my first answer. And then I would come with 
two, I mean, three important aspects of worship. Well, at least that's how I see it. Again, <laughs> I'm not an expert in worship, but I believe that engagement, language, and space mm. are the three most important things in worship. So as, as a church planter, these uh, three aspects are fundamental to create connection with the community that, that is already there. I'm not creating spirituality, but I am adjusting to that community and understanding their spirituality. And then we can form a community. That's how I see church planting ministry. Mm -hmm. So the, this process of understanding what kind of engagement we can create and what kind of language and how we can rethink space to bring together the old and the new perspectives and spiritualities. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important, especially as pastors move from church to church and community stay, right? Mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation years ago around churches in South Texas that are Hispanic churches, Spanish-speaking, and having the picture of La Virgen de Guadalupe, the late Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, yesterday was a feast day for her. But having this very animated conversation with some pastors about, did that belong in a Methodist church? And the, the wider question was, didn't that belong to the community? So it, it was an icon that was very important for that community, even as they had become United Methodist. They still had that upbringing of having that Virgin, Virgin Mary in there. So uh, I think that was really important. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who is in her first year at a church. And she said, so we're having our lessons and carols. Is We're supposed to be purple, right? And and because uh, it's uh, Advent, and she and I said yes, I would I would stick with purple up until Christmas. She goes, well, they're ready to jump into red, and I I immediately said to her, don't go messing with their stuff right now. <laughs> You're in your first year, just you know. She goes, oh, I'm not, I'm not. So, <laughs> but yes, that that is you know so important the traditions we have, and not to say we can't learn and be. Uh, learn new things. And that, that I just want to follow up one more with one more question on this one. Have you seen a change in iconography in our churches these many years? Have you seen a, a formative change in how we deal with our icons? Well, um, I have been not part of a research or observation on that topic specifically, but I would say that in general, people are changing how they are creating their symbols within the community. So I, I would say that people are rethinking what it means to have an icon and what would be an icon in terms of connecting them to the church. Mm. And maybe because of this uh, fluid context that people are not becoming so attached to physical components or material mm. components, but mm. we are we are becoming very virtual in terms of relationships. So <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I have some of my patients that they they wanted to have just a virtual sessions even after COVID. Th that's how they feel comfortable. So I believe this fluid reality of postmodernity is making people rethink 
their connections with the church and and all of the material and the physical symbols, including icons and how they are related to their spiritualities. Marcelo, uh, I want to go on record by saying you've opened so many things. We're either going to have a podcast that's going to be about 10 hours long, or you're going to have to come back to help us deal with some of this stuff you've laid on our laps. It's just, it's it's amazing to me. I want to, I want to talk about the dynamic between worship as an experience, as, as something we're doing in real time, and then the reflective process, the interpretive process, you know, and, and how much of that can happen concurrently and how much of it takes a step back. We have, to, we have to move away in order to do that reinterpretation of the icons. I don't realize how much I'm changing in worship until mm-hmm. later on when I can mm-hmm. then reflect back on that. And, and where do we create space for that reflection to happen? also want to talk about the dynamic between the individual experience of worship and the corporate experience of worship. That's something we wrestle with in this, in our culture so much because we live in a very individualistic culture. And so we have people coming to church thinking, I've got to get what I need out of this, as opposed to entering together into this, this corporate exercise as well. And then I also want to see this is what I'm saying. I want to talk about the whole church planting idea and how worship or does worship become the means that gets these things off the ground or is it a later development once we get to know one another then we can truly worship. Where does worship fit in? And then add in the other layer that you have much experience in of the different ethnic environments in which you work. Does worship have a different place? We know it has a different flow and different feel to the experience of worship, but but does it hold a different place, or is there some commonality in all of that? So mm-hmm. those are all the things that are spinning around in my head, and yep. I guess I'll just dump it all on you again, since you dumped it all on us, and say what do you, what would you like <laughs> to respond to out of all of that? What's what's tickling your fancy in the midst of all of this? Well, yeah, you you, you just mentioned so many important components for this conversation. And I I want to start reflecting on some numbers that I got from a research from 2017, talking about the top five reasons people leave the church. So Mm -hmm. first one, I moved to college and stopped attending church, 34%. Church members, they seemed judgmental, and they are not okay with my lifestyle, 32%. I don't feel connected to people in my church, 29%. I disagree with the church's idea on politics and social issues, 25%. And the last one, it's my work responsibilities prevented me from attending the church, 24%. So these are the reasons why people said in this research they are leaving the church. So I, when I was reading this research, one thing came to my mind. When you see church attendance, attendance not going so well and churches closing their doors and people concerned about new church planting strategies and revitalization process that we can offer to these churches, they are disappearing. So one question comes to my mind. 
who is wrong, who is doing wrong, who is not right, who needs to change in this process. If we think about the people and those who are not going to church, we do have some reasons, and I just shared some of them. But what is behind these reasons? What is the symbol formation in people's mind in terms of spirituality to make they think, okay, I could be a spiritual person and develop some sort of a spirituality, but I don't see myself as part of the institutional church. So what is, what is the, the, the issue here? So what, what I believe is that we are recreating as human beings our sense of spirituality. And there are some institutional components that are not adjusting or at least following these aspects. And some of them will be, in my opinion, tradition, liturgy, ethnic ministries, church planting strategies, and as a part of everything we're discussing here, the reality of worship experience. So how to change that reality? How to recreate the adjustment or how to recreate new forms of connection in a way that we can see the success in terms of people together, worshiping together, serving the community, and, and, and some kind of uh, transformation. And, and one of the things that I, that I used to say to my last congregation uh, before becoming part of Discipleship Ministries, and this was like part of all the meetings and, and, and preachings and Bible studies and everything, was the idea that we need to find creative forms to express who we are. So it's not about just expressing a denominational saying or perspective or ministerial purpose, but it's also about expressing who we are. And, and this becomes very fluid when we bring all the components of postmodernity all together. So virtual life, the reasons why people are leaving the church, new forms of revitalization and church planting strategies, maybe denominational division and disagreements. So when we bring all of that together, how can I find my own expression as an individual related to spirituality? And how can I create a connection between this personal expression and the reality of my local context? The, the community that I, that I serve with. So this is a hard work. So I don't have a, a, a clear answer for that, but I do have many questions. And that I, I used to hear this, this say in Brazil a lot, the world is not made by answers, but only by questions. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that somehow expanding all of these questions that we have about all of these aspects that I just mentioned and some of, the ones you mentioned before are part of this journey of discernment and kind of rethink and rediscover who we are as a church and as part of the community. Because the church has a new place as Mm -hmm. it used to have, you know, centuries ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. So what what is the place for the church as a faith community nowadays in the context that we are living in? Well, and but part of that question is who's going to decide that the place of the church, mm-hmm. and and I think your emphasis was on 
the local context. You know, it, it's our place. And I, and I still think that the biggest shift is to go from my spirituality or my religious expression and ours. You know, the, the shift from the me to the we is a major shift until we begin to have that sense that, because behind a lot of those reasons that you gave us and other research has given similar ones, is this idea that says, it, it doesn't matter as much to me. That's why I'm able to leave. But if I consider myself part of a connection, part of a we, a family, then it becomes harder to leave when work situations. I'll overcome obstacles for a we that I won't necessarily for a me, if, if you understand that difference. Yeah, and, and, and just to mention another interesting uh, number about what you just said, in another research from a Pew Research Center from also 2017, says that 54% of U.S. adults think of themselves as religious. But 75% of U.S. say they are spiritual, not religious, but spiritual. Mm-hmm. So it is growing the number of people that think they are spiritual. And, and I think that's the key to find the we and not the I when discerning what is the church or who is the church in my community. It, it is getting the sense of the spiritual connection that we have as a community. So I, I think that that's the key to discern that. And, and to acknowledge that spiritual is also needs to be a corporate experience and not just an individual experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of that language is, is a misuse of some of the words because it fits my understanding better. Mm. But if we begin to expand it and say to be truly spiritual means that we're in communion, that we are connected, that there are relationships involved, not that I'm at some sort of inner peace kind of thing. But that, but that I have a, a connection beyond the me, and, and I'm ha- I'm happy that people want to be spiritual. I really, but I want them to understand what spirituality means and and what it offers to them and to the world. This mm. idea of connection beyond that. Mm-hmm. Can can we spend a moment and talk about what you see are differences in terms of ethnic communities and how and where they value worship or how they approach worship? whether it's in church plants or, or in existing mm-hmm. congregations, do you see a difference or is there more of a commonality in, in terms of how we hold worship within the community in terms of its value and importance and place and all those kinds of things? Yeah, that that's an important topic to, to discuss in terms of worship and church planting. I, I don't see ethnic ministries as ethnic kind of ministry. I see it as a hybrid or a multicultural kind of ministry. So mm-hmm. I, I, I believe the, the word ethnic has the importance of valuing their culture and language, and, and I think that's important. But in a practical sense, and how we develop that must be a very open process. And, and one of the reasons I see this way is, well, let me give my own example. I have been in this country for a while, still learning the language, still learning the cultures, still creating connection, but I, I know that I'm not 
a Brazilian anymore, but I'm not an American, even though I'm a Brazilian and American citizen. I'm a third person, a third individual, <laughs> a combination of my Brazilian heritage, but also all of the new culture that I embraced when I came to America. Mm -hmm. So th that's how I see the, the, the ethnic reality in mm -hmm. terms of, of ministry. And, and maybe this mindset shift would be important for each and every person involved in church planting, church revitalization, cabinets, those responsible for worship, because we don't have only Anglo people attending the church. We, we have a diverse community in this country. So we can have all different cultures, you know, in our, in our worship experience at the same time. So how to address a ethnic component as a church, as we are, as the Methodist Church. So it's a very complex task. And, and I think, number one, the generational aspect, it's one thing that is kind of a different. So first generation of Brazilians, they want to stay in worship, Derek, for three hours if they can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, and if you go visit a, a Brazilian church and say, hey, I'm a UMC pastor, they, they would say, well, so you're going to be preaching today. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, you have this kind of intimate experience that mm -hmm. can last, as I said, three hours, four hours. I used to go to a Brazilian church in Boston that people would be there nine in the morning and would leave the church two in the afternoon. So that's a, mm -hmm. a, a full day experience of worship. Mm -hmm. So if you think about first generation, you're going to have this clear difference that you need to spend hours and hours in worship because it is important. It is necessary because you need to bring everyone to be part of the worship. So have multiple people singing and sharing biblical messages. And then you might have a 40 minutes, one hour sermon. But when you go to other generations, second and third generations, you find a conflict, which mm. I believe it is a good conflict, which is how to preserve the culture that I have in my veins, in my mind, in my heart, the things that I learned from my parents, my family, uh, my home country. And, and continue to be this Americanized individual in this new culture. How to, how to navigate in this process? Mm -hmm. And why I see this as a good conflict? Because you have the benefit of combining the beauty of two cultures and two realities and make that your life and your mm -hmm. identity. So th that's, that's why I see this conflict as a beautiful experience and also in terms of spirituality how how can we co combine all of the spiritual sense of being from my home country and culture and connect that with my new perspectives of life social issues human sexuality how can i connect those so mm. uh, i see uh, this conflict but if you go to third generations and so on, you're not going to see, well, in my opinion, this conflict as we see 
between first and second generation. So it's number one, more about a diversity and multi-ethic, maybe hybrid context. And it is also about understanding and dealing with specifics from each generation. Which, which also raises the whole cultural appropriation question, you know, how do I honor another culture without stealing it or, or misusing it or, mm -hmm. or whatever? And I know that there are a lot of Anglo pastors and worship leaders who want to value another culture, but don't want to be accused of, of appropriation, you know, so... I know that needs a whole other podcast for us. You're opening up another can of worms there, <laughs> yeah, Derek. But it, it's always on my head. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. We'll, we'll have to have Marcelo back. Go ahead, Marcelo. <laughs> no, I, I, I was going to say that Paulo Freire, which is a Brazilian thinker, mm -hmm. he used to say that nobody learns alone. We mm -hmm. learn in communion. It, he, he, he used the word communion. We learn in communion. So... I believe th this kind of question, Derek, the answer starts with dialogue and communion, just being together. That's one of the things that we advocate in psychoanalytic treatment, that the patient is there not just to hear a diagnosis. He just, he, he, he does not need a, a label. They, mm. they need an experience, mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. experience of transformation. So all of these issues that we see in terms of culture appropriation and intergenerational conflicts. I think the, the answer would be given when people get together and start dialoguing and discussing and experiencing that good conflict together. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. There's so much. And I want to keep asking questions too. But I think for the sake of our listeners, we're going to stop there for today. And we will have you back again early next year, Marcelo. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we're all feeling our minds being a little bit blown here. And I want to thank all of you who are joining us today. We hope that this has been helpful to you. Remember that you can find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. We want you to tell us what you think, so send us an email. We would like love to be in dialogue with you. Until next time, we will be praying for and with you and your congregation. May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. Bye, everyone. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.